to. So we are in Exodus chapter 24, and we know that the Lord has been giving Moses more detail of the law, and we can't reiterate this enough. Again, the law was given to increase sin, to show men that they were sinners, to be a tutor, to teach them that they needed a Savior, one that was without sin, the Lord Jesus Christ. It was also given to give order and instruction there for Israel, and um, absolutely uh, much of this has application to us as followers of Christ. You know, the Lord has called us to walk in newness of life, and there is a moral call that the Lord has put upon us, a biblical call on how He wants us to live our lives. Now, a lot of these things are ceremonial. A lot of these things were, uh, you know what, uh, symbolic of fulfillment in Christ and has to do, again, with our walk with the Lord. Uh, so that's what we've been looking at in, in, in the last few chapters. And now tonight, uh, we continue to get instruction um, and insight into um, the Lord uh, talking with Moses, uh, calling him up to uh, Mount Sinai now to begin to get instruction for the building of the Ark of the Covenant, the things of the tabernacle and so forth. So let's just dive into it and we'll just begin to, you know, get in here and um, read this a few verses at a time and, and I think find a lot of uh, truth and application and instruction for us. So here we are, Exodus 24, verse 1 and 2. It says, now he or now God said to Moses, uh, now he said to Moses, uh, come up to the Lord, you Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but these shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. And notice here in the first verse, the Lord calls them to come and worship, but he says you can only worship from afar. And the reason for that was because though they had a faith in the Lord, their sins were still not atoned for. And we'll just keep touching on this throughout, you know, the Old Testament. And, and we've touched on it throughout the Old Testament that after man sinned, God gave the promise of the Savior to come. And all these things that he was uh, implementing and the instruction he was given to them and so forth was a shadow. And the substance was the Lord Jesus Christ. And as long as they were still in that shadow, they could still worship the Lord and they were still saved by faith through grace. But their salvation was not fulfilled until Jesus actually came and died on the cross for them. And so they could worship, but it was from afar. Even after they passed away, they did not go to the Lord's presence, but they went to a place that Jesus called Abraham's bosom. And it's when Christ died on the cross, it says that he led, he didn't, he, before he descended on high, he descended below, he went again to Abraham's bosom, and he led captivity captive as their faith was fulfilled. Remember on the resurrection, there were some people that had been dead, and they were walking again in Jerusalem. So not only did they get brought out of Abraham's bosom, they got kicked back into their bodies for a season as well. Pretty amazing. But once their faith was fulfilled, then they were brought into his presence. And see, tonight, we can rejoice because we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and we don't have to worship from afar. But instead, the Lord has invited us and longs for us to come and worship up close and personal to enter into the Holy of Holies, because we have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. So those things were the shadow. Jesus is the substance. Isn't it good news to know tonight that we don't have to worship from afar, but we can enter in and we're invited to and we're told to, and we're told to do it boldly. Um, that doesn't mean with an attitude. It means 
to go in with a humility, but boldly knowing that we can because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now notice here, he tells, um, tells them to worship from afar, but he says, Moses alone shall come near. And so if we can ask the question, well, why does Moses get to go near while these others have to worship from afar? Again, we've touched on this already a lot in Exodus, but Moses uh, in the scriptures, he's a type of Christ. He's not the Christ, but a type of Christ. Um, I don't have the verse, but uh, it's, it's, it's said there in the, in the word, it's a prophecy that Moses gave. He said, there'll be one who will ra- be raised up like me. And it's a reference to Jesus being a deliverer and Jesus, again, being the fulfillment. So Moses is a type of Christ. So Moses, in a way, went to make intercession for the people, though he received the law. And again, that was given to show that they were sinners, that they needed that Savior. But he's a type of Christ. And absolutely, as we just touched on, the reason that we can draw near is because, not because we have a type of Christ, but we have the Christ. Again, we read there, we've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And absolutely, Jesus is that mediator between man and God. As 1 Timothy 2.5, a scripture we're familiar with, there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So Jesus is the bridge between fallen man and, and uh, holy God. And again, Moses is a picture of that right now. Now, one other note here, uh, a couple names that come up here that I just want to take note of real quickly, Nadab and Abihu, these were uh, sons of Aaron. They were part of uh, what would soon be implemented as the Levitical priest. And uh, at this point, notice they do have a fear of God and they don't come near, they heed the instruction. In fact, we'll see as this chapter unfolds, that uh, a fire comes down on Mount Sinai and it's quite a display of God's glory and power. And Nadab and Abihu, they honor that. But later on in the book of Leviticus, it's sad because uh, these men begin to lose their fear of God. They begin to lose their reverence of God. Uh, Again, they were called to go in and make intercession for the people with sacrifice and so forth. Um, But somewhere along the line, they got really... uh, Again, uh, uh, Lucy or, or just, just Lucy Goosey or, you know, uh, just, just got kind of flippant or complacent. Uh, they really lost the reverence of the Lord. Because in Leviticus 10.1, it says that Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took a censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And the fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they, di- de- and they died before the Lord. And uh, amazing how quickly they forgot. Here they are with a reverence for the Lord. They're honoring the Lord. God, again, will see lights up Mount Sinai. And it doesn't take long for them to get to a place where instead of, instead of having a fear of God, they're just going through the motions of kind of religion and the motions of the priesthood. Later on that chapter uh, in Leviticus 10.9, the Lord said to Aaron, he said, Don't, uh, do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, uh, you nor your sons with you when you go into the tabernacle of meeting lest you die. And it's had, some people concluded that they went in there drunk before the Lord. And they offered from there a profane fire, which would be something other than what the Lord told them to offer up. It could have been some even sort of, sort of the occult or witchcraft or, you know, their own doings. And we need to heed this because absolutely, listen, we can draw near and let's draw near. But let's draw near again with boldness through the blood of Jesus, but also with a reverence in our heart. Let's remember we can draw near because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and that's not a light thing. 
And when we draw near, let's draw near asking for God's will to be done, not for, again, our agenda to be fulfilled and not coming with a strange fire outside of the guidelines of scriptures. So is this a balance there for us? Yes, we can come near and we should draw near. The Lord says, come to me. But let's go with a reverence. Let's, again, go with a reverence to the Lord and a fear of God and wanting to walk according to the word and, again, asking for his will to prevail. Because I do think it's easy to come to a place where you go from a reverence for the Lord to kind of going through the motions to then walking in a manner that's just completely outside of his will. And it seems that's what happened with Nadab and Abihu as you follow him through the scriptures. Now, verse 3, it says, Now Moses came and told the, pe- told the people all the words of the Lord and, and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. Now, notice here again, Moses brought them the word of the Lord, and then we're told here, he also brought all the judgments, which means Moses brought the full counsel of God. Now, Moses could have very easily just said, you know what, they're not going to like the judgments, so I'm just going to bring the part of the word of the Lord that is going to be more palatable to them. But he didn't do that. He brought the full counsel of the word of the Lord. He didn't just bring the good news, he also brought the bad news. And if we talked about this all the time, the only way you can have good news is if you have bad news, otherwise it's just news. And we need to make sure, again, when we are sharing God's word with others, when we're teaching the word of God, when we are sharing it and, you know what, to our children, that we bring the full counsel of the word of God. We don't edit the word of God. And, uh, you know, you read in the scriptures how in the last days there will be a lot of pastors who edit the word of God. They say, well, this part of the word doesn't tickle ears, and this part of the word is offensive. And you know what? Honestly, when I read the word of God, it all offends my flesh. The whole thing's an offense to my flesh. I've got a rebellious nature. And, uh, but my flesh needs to be offended. <laughs> and my flesh needs to be crucified. And so, again, let's make sure we're not ashamed of Jesus or his words. And he didn't say, you know, he said, if you're ashamed of me and my words, I'll be ashamed of you when you stand before me on judgment. And um, you know what? Let's not be ashamed of part of his word and then stand in the part that we know uh, is palatable to people or presented in a wrong way when it's taken out of context. But again, Moses spoke all the words, even the judgments. Again, the good news is that Christ conquered sin. The bad news, we're sinners and we're under wrath. And people need to know that to even be led to the good news. So all of it. And then notice here, though, their answers. Again, they're giving, Moses is giving them this law. He just gave them the Ten Commandments there. And he'd been already at this point, he's given them uh, chapter 21, 22, and 23 as well, which is just a ton of don't do these things. And then notice all the words which the Lord has said, they said, we will do. And they all answered it with one voice. And look how confident they are. The Ten Commandments, we're going to do all these things. And with one voice, it just shows, again, their confidence. And... Uh, that was a big mistake. That was a big, big mistake. Now, they were probably hoping they could do it and maybe caught up in the euphoria of Moses coming down from the mountain there and everything going on and the deliverance. You know what? We can do it, but they couldn't do it. And we need to make sure that we don't get into a place where we start thinking we can do it in ourselves. Now, I think if they would have said, I don't think we can do this, God, we need your help to be able to do any of these things. Who knows what even the next verses would even look like. Um, 
but let's make sure that we're not putting confidence in ourselves. Uh, Paul wrote Philippians 2.3, beware of the dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. And what he's talking about there is people who put their confidence in themselves. He says, for we are of the circumcision who worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. Notice here, and have no confidence in the flesh. So it's not that I can do it, but it's through putting my eyes on the Lord and trusting in Him, the Holy Spirit working through me, then maybe something could get done. But it's about what Jesus has done and resting in what He has done, not we can do, and knowing I can't do anything outside of the help of the Lord. It's a mess. It's a disaster outside of Him. But again, they said we can do it, but once this law was implemented, they would see really quickly, we can't do it. And that was part of the reason for it, to teach them, you can't do it, you need someone who can do it. Unfortunately, right up to the time that Jesus came, these dogs, evil workers, and the mutilation that Paul talks about were full effect, saying, you know what, you can do it, do it like us, and you'll be okay, and it was a false gospel. The whole book of Galatians is written about it. And Jesus came combating it, and it was one of the reasons why they put him on the cross. But praise God, on that cross... He did it for us. Verse 4. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Notice, he wrote down the words of the Lord. And we know Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. And he wrote these things as what? As the Lord was telling him what to write. As the Holy Spirit was moving upon him. This isn't a book penned by the hands of men, but the scriptures were penned as God moved on them. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so he was being inspired by God. And again, God's word is prophetic. It's proclaimed by just looking at the word of God and fulfilled prophecy. And the accuracy of it, you know what, uh, historically and so forth, it's spot on. So he's writing the word of God, writing the scriptures the scriptures, uh, where it says all scriptures given by inspiration of God, it means, again, the, the written word. It means a written document. So he wrote this down. And we can rejoice tonight that God's word is written down because I know if we just passed it on verbally, I know if we just, you know, uh, uh, you know it, uh, it went from person to person in that manner, it would be so influenced by our emotions, by our point of view, uh, our errors and so forth and not getting it quite right we can rejoice tonight that it is written down and the Lord declares listen the grass withers uh, the flower fades we're like the flesh our flesh is like the grass that withers the flower fades but the word of God will do what it endures forever and and look at God's word before us tonight is living proof of that also notice he got up in the morning and he, he built that altar he didn't put it off he didn't wait he said, I need to get on this, and we need to glean from that. Listen, God's called us things to do. Our time here is short. Let's be about the business of the Lord. Amen? Verse 5. Then he sent young men of uh, the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifice peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Now Israel's entering into a covenant with the Lord. They're saying, we can do this. And so without the shedding of blood, there's really no covenant. Uh, so blood would have to be shed in their covenants when they would enter in. 
a sacrifice will be made, so forth. And so that's what's going on. And now, again, tonight we can rejoice because, listen, we're partakers of the better covenant. We're partakers of the new covenant. We're partakers of, again, the covenant that was put forth to us through the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12, 24, um, it says, Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. And so through the shedding, shed blood of Jesus Christ, we are able again to enter into this new covenant. And the new covenant is that Jesus has done it. Jesus did what we couldn't do. Jesus paid the penalty. It's the good news for our sin. And he conquered death that through faith in him, we know that we are under the blood of Christ tonight. And life's in the blood. It just means, you know what, if you're like, oh, blood, I'm a Westerner. I can't deal with these times of church terminologies. And there's some people say, don't talk about the blood. It offends people. Listen, the blood shouldn't offend anybody. Life's in the blood. This speaks about the life of Jesus. We're under the life of Christ tonight. So in Jesus, we're not seen as sinners, but we're seen as forgiven. We're seen as saints. That's good news. And that's why we should absolutely, again, explain and talk about the shed blood of Christ. Verse 7, it says, Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And so again, we see in this chapter, Moses getting the word. We see him giving them the word. In a minute, we'll read about him teaching them the word. Here he's just reading the word. And you know what? There's a place just for reading the word. I know we always feel, and maybe this is more me as a Bible teacher, as a pastor. It's like, hey, if I read it, then I got to teach it. But 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul told Timothy, till I come, give attention uh, to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. And really, what this implies is give attention to the public reading of the Scriptures. And reading of the Scriptures is such a good thing. That's something that we should, we should do. Give attention to it in our home and elsewhere as well. But again, notice here as well, it's the second time they say, uh, uh, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And again, I'll say it again, they couldn't do it and they didn't do it. <laughs> I mean, we'll see pretty soon, right? Right out of the gate, before you know it, they're forming a golden calf and having a wild party and not doing any of it. They're doing the opposite of, of all of it. And, uh, but praise God, uh, they and we needed someone who could do it, and that was Jesus Christ. And so let's rest in what he has done for us. Verse 8, And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. And we just talked about that covenant. And again, I'll just read another one for us because this is throughout the New Testament. Colossians 1.13, for he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that good news tonight? We have been snatched, or we have been delivered from the power of darkness and we are kingdom a part of the kingdom of a son we have redemption which means we've been purchased out of the bondage of the slavery of our sin and now we have forgiveness through jesus and what he did for us that's just wonderful news tonight verse 9 and listen if you're not if you don't have faith in christ tonight he's calling you to get washed of your sin tonight the lord's calling you to be a partaker of the new covenant tonight jesus wants to be your lord and savior and so it's time to humble your heart and call on the Lord, ask Him to be the Lord of your life. 
Put your faith in him. It's a picture of saying, I'm turning from what my Lord is. I'm turning from my sin, which really is our Lord. And I want to turn and put my faith in Jesus Christ and ask him to begin to be the Lord of my life. And he'll begin to work in you and he'll be faithful to complete that work. Now notice verse 9, then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hands, so they saw God, and they ate and drank. What a, like, awesome just picture right here in the middle of all of this. Um, they go up to see him, but we know they don't actually see him, because no man has saw God, and even in spirit Moses later on says I want to see you and God shows him his back so in saying they went up to see him it's a picture of you know they went up to see him but actually they didn't see him but what they did saw was under his feet was this paved work of sapphire stone or it was like sapphire stone and it was like the very heaven so what they saw is heaven and everything else under the feet of God now listen absolutely is everything is under the feet of God and so as followers of the Lord and people covenant with God tonight, we don't have anything to panic about. God's not panicking. God's in complete control. Why? Because he's over all things. He's over all of it. Ephesians 122, and he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Maybe tonight you just need that reminder. Listen, God is over it all is not good news he's over all of it it's all under his feet he is in total control that thing you came in here worried about god's not worried about it that thing that you know is looming that's coming later on god knows god's in control and again he's given us promises that as he's in control and he's sovereign that he works all things for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes know as well notice as well they went up but god didn't touch them he didn't lay a hand on them and praise god again we can draw near we call him abba father not only does he touch us but he has sealed us with the holy spirit of the lord he hasn't left us as orphans and then they ate and drank and again on this occasion we're called daily to come and dine with the lord we read that he stands at the door and knocks and whoever come and dine with him he will dine with us let's take advantage let's Let's walk in this new covenant. Let's draw near to the Lord. We need to, especially in these perilous days that we are living in. I want to make it my aim all the more to draw near to Him. I want to make it my aim all the more to be worshipful. I was thinking tonight as we were in here worshiping, I came here tonight and I, I just said in my heart, I'm going to be determined to worship the Lord tonight. Because I find at times I'll come in and thoughts are going through my mind. And, and I'm also like, uh, you know, at a kind of a manager so is it too hot is it too cold in here and so forth and i just said you know what? i'm going to make it my aim i want to join your lord i'm going to worship the lord and every line that comes up here i want to sing it to god i want to say it to the lord and 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 it was just beautiful because as i sat there and i just made it my aim, so i'm going to discipline myself it's easy to sing but not worship is it not i just you know you know what i, I don't want to put emphasis feelings but i just felt more so things just falling by the wayside and my eyes more on Jesus Christ. And we need to make it our aim to do that individually. And listen, as we come here together to, to worship, 
to say, listen, I'm going to worship God. I want to sing these lines to the Lord. As we sing about his shed blood and so forth in the, in the, the songs we sing and we sing. And we try to make sure that those songs we're singing are biblically a sound that we can worship in spirit and truth. Verse 12, then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written. Notice here that you may teach them. So we see Moses again getting the word and reading it and the judgments to the people. And now he says, come get it so you can teach the word. And again, there is absolutely a call to teach the word to rightly divide it to not just read it but to instruct listen um you know what again within the context of scripture this is what's being conveyed here hopefully tonight you are being taught somewhat uh and i'm not just completely butchering this and we're learning more comparing scripture with scripture and again the best commentary on the bible is always the bible and so we want to make sure when the word is taught it's rightly divided and so forth. And again, we see this command given to us, 1 Timothy 4.11, teach and command, or te- uh, these things command and teach, and it's the context of the word of God. Now, verse 13, so Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and her are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. Uh, so Moses here takes a young guy up with him um, to help him, also to train him, because we know eventually Joshua would take over for Moses. And absolutely, it's important that we are sowing into others, and we're sowing into the youth, and we're ministering to the youth. Listen, uh, any church practically, it's in a way a generation from dying off if they're not sowing into their children and their youth. And that's why we, you know what, we put a lot of emphasis here on one of the reasons on children's ministry and VBSs and youth and so forth we want to sow into the youth and then again he leaves some some older fellows around uh to be in charge uh, aaron and her and the 70 elders that were appointed from jethro's council as moses's father-in-law and notice here moses gives them an, a good piece of advice that unfortunately they wouldn't heed he says now wait here till we come back We'll read it in a minute. They'd be up there 40 days and 40 nights. And he says, just wait. And these guys, listen, think about this. Again, they just saw the Lord over what appeared to be a sapphire-like floor that depicted the heavens. It's showing God over everything. And I don't want to get too ahead of us here in Exodus, but we'll see Moses getting more instruction and so forth. And before you know it, God says, hey, you need to get down there. Those people that are, that are down there, are, they're worshiping idols and an orgy is broken out. That's what happens. He said, just wait. And guess what? They decided not to wait. And then Moses said, listen, if you have a difficulty, go to Aaron and her. And they would go to Aaron and Aaron would say, listen, give me all your gold. And he would fashion a calf. And they would heat it up, and he would say, listen, this is your God that brought you out of Egypt. Man, there's instruction here. When God says to wait, you know what the best thing to do is to wait. And keep waiting until you are told to move. Otherwise, it is so easy to get caught up into following gold and calves. I know sometimes when we wait, we don't like waiting. We want things now. 
But waiting is a very, very good thing. Now, it doesn't mean that we sit around once we're told. If we hear, you know what, like Moses got up and he built that altar. And there's some things God's telling us to do, and there's other times when we got to wait. And again, I know when we're waiting, we feel like we're not doing something spiritual, but waiting so many times is an incredibly good, good thing to do. Verse 15. Then Moses went up... uh, into the mountain and a cloud covered the mountain now the glory of the lord rested on mount sinai and the cloud covered it six days and on the seventh day he called moses out of the midst of the cloud he waited for six days he's up on this mountain again this cloud covers it the glory of the lord's there and he sees this glory and again on the seventh day god calls him to himself and and as i read this my thought was Six days is a long time to wait. We oftentimes don't like waiting six minutes. And I think as a result of that, we oftentimes miss out on seeing the glory of God. I think there's a ton here. I mean, I think you do a whole, you know what, message just on this little passage from 13 down to 16. They were told to wait. They didn't wait. As a result, they got caught up in golden calves. Moses goes up and he waits, and as a result of that, he sees the glory of the Lord. God wants us to be patient. God doesn't want us to rush ahead of him. God wants us, again, to wait on his direction, his leading, and so forth. And oftentimes when God builds things and he does things, they're at a different pace than when man does them. So maybe this is a a, a direct word for someone here tonight that, um, you know, it needs to slow down or wait, or maybe you've been here saying, what am I supposed to do about something? I don't know. You know what? We all do need to wait, and maybe specifically the Lord's telling you to wait concerning something tonight. Listen, heed the counsel of God. Verse 17, uh, the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And again, what a display of God's power and glory. There's a fire on top of the mountain. Moses has been up there, you know, 40 days, goes up there 40 days and 40 nights. And then again, at some point, they're like, hey, what happened to that Moses guy? I don't know. What should we do? Again, the golden calf. Well, there's a fire up on the mountain. <laughs> this is why we got to stand in the word of God. Because they would have said, listen. I don't know, we should, you know, what should we do? We should do what we're told to do. We need to wait. And it's interesting, even in the midst of the signs and the wonders and everything they saw, all before them, it wasn't enough to keep them to doing what they were supposed to be doing. And signs and wonders and these things, are, they're glorious. Listen, and they're good when they're, when they're from the Lord, but we got to stand in the Word. No matter what, the temptation is to go away from it or impatience, or whatever else it is. And they got the best counsel. And even in that, again, there was a evidence of God in their midst. And again, I know this comes a little bit down the road, but we see that they shunned that counsel. And yet Moses, as he waited, again, saw the glory of God. Now, Exodus 25, we are, we are going to get through this. There's a lot of There's a lot of instruction here on building things and so forth and some application. 
But let's dive into it in verse 1. Again, now the Lord begins to speak to him. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they may bring an offering. And notice here, From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. God didn't want an offering that someone gave with a grudge, or they gave with an attitude. Uh, and again, they had left Egypt loaded. They got 400 years back pay. And now he says, listen, I want you to take an offering, but only from those that will willingly give it. And the same is true today. I won't spend a lot of time talking about it. I'll just read 2 Corinthians 9, 6. But this I say, he who sows, who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And that's an encouragement to give unto the Lord the work of the Lord. Because listen, sow, sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. But if you want to be stingy, then listen, you're, gonna, you're, 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 you're not going to uh, you're not gonna reap bountifully, it's, but sowingly or, or, or sparingly. Um, verse 7, he says, So let each one gives, give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. God loves a cheerful giver. Listen. When you give unto the work of the Lord, you know what, when, when you give unto the work of the Lord here, give it with a cheerful heart. And I say it all the time, listen, if you're giving out of a grudge, if you're giving out of necessity, listen, don't give that, but I do encourage you to go get your heart right with the Lord. And um, you know what, we want those things to be given unto the Lord with a heart of worship. And God says, listen, if it's not given in that way, I don't even want it. I don't need it. God will always, again, supply seed for those that are going to give with a cheerful and a joyful heart, which is part of his economy of things. And notice verse 3 through 7. And this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, which was really valuable, fine linen and goat's hair, ram skins uh, dyed red, badger skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil, for the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And so the Lord was asking for items to be given for the building of the ark, the table, the, the golden lampstands, the tabernacle itself, the things that the Levitical priests would wear and so forth. And again, notice they're all things of, of, of value. He doesn't say here, you know what, go and collect all the old couches, broken appliances, and rubbish, and all their leftovers. That's not to say that there can't be a time for an old couch for a youth room or whatever else, but I think a lot of times there's people that got a mentality of, I don't want to give anything good to the Lord, and God doesn't want it anyway if you're going to give it with a grudge, but it's easy just to fall into a place where we just give kind of God our seconds and the stuff that we don't deem valuable anymore for the work of the Lord. And he calls them to, again, give of things of great value. And you know what? In the right setting and the right mindset, they would have been a place, listen, God's blessed us with all this. God's delivered us out of Egypt. I want to give unto the Lord. I want to acknowledge that all these badger skins are from the Lord, so I want to take a couple of them and go give them to the work of the Lord. This acacia wood and all these other things. And as part of that, again, relationship with God. You know, he gives to us, and then we have the privilege to give out of that 
unto him. And listen, we bountifully reap in that. And again, in rewards in heaven, a confidence, no, God's going to supply our needs. And absolutely in the working of the Spirit of God in our lives. Verse 8. It says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show you. That is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of its furnishings, just uh, so you shall make it. And so a sanctuary, or at this point a tabernacle, would be constructed so that men could meet with God. So the priest could go into this thing with sacrifice to make intercession for the people. And we've already talked about it tonight. Listen, we can enter into the Holy of Holies, the heavenly Jerusalem, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And think about this, the Holy Spirit, when we come to faith in Christ, indwells in us. The Bible says we're the temple of God. And so you better believe we're not afar off anymore. We're up close and we are personal. So now he begins to give instruction, and we'll see four things, and and I want to read through this, just a little commentary. First of all, it's instruction concerning the Ark of the Covenant which we read a lot about in Scripture, and we'll read a lot more about as we go through Exodus and so forth. It says, They shall make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits shall be its length. A cubit is about 18 inches, just so you want to do the math on it. A cubit and a half is its width, and a cubit and a half is its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out. You shall overlay it. You shall make uh, on it a molding of gold all around. You shall cast four rings of gold for it. And put them in its four corners. Two rings shall be on one side. Two rings shall be on the other side. You shall make poles of acacia wood. And overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the side of the ark. That the ark may be carried by them. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put the ark of the testimony uh, which I give to you. You shall put in the ark the testimony which I give to you. Now acacia wood is very dense. It resists rot, rot. There are some people that have suggested that the wood of the Ark of the Covenant is symbolic of the Lord's humanity. And as it was overlaid with gold, which was great value, some have suggested it's symbolic of the Lord's deity. These two things coming together, composed, because this would be the place, again, where we'll read about it, the mercy seat was where God would meet with them. Just a thought there. It also had these rings and poles to be carried They weren't to touch this thing unless they were of the Levitical priesthood. Um, Again, it was to be moved with poles. At one point, you'll later on see David moving this thing. The poles have been lost, and they try to move it on a cart. Uh, They use the Philistines' ways of moving the ark instead of doing it the Lord's ways. It starts to fall over. It gets touched, and a man struck down dead. And then at another point, they think it's their good luck you know, a charm when they go to fight the Philistines. When they're in total sin, they get routed by the Philistines. The Philistines steal it. Great curses break out amongst the Philistines. They're like, we don't want this thing. They send it back, and the first place it comes to, they look in it, and it strikes everyone dead. It's literally like the Raiders of the Ark scene, you know. So, again, there was great reverence here. This represented, again, we'll see in a minute, the mercy seat that was on this where they would meet with God. Here we see... The law put into it, which they couldn't fulfill. Later on, manna was put into it, a jar of manna and Aaron's rod that budded as well. Um, but again, it, it shows that, that the reverence of it and, and 
you know, it, it shows the value God places on his word and, and that it contained it and so forth. And it's all the more as, again, it was God's way of meeting with them, yet they fully couldn't enter in, and yet through Christ we can. Now quickly here, verse 17, down through 22, we read of the mercy seat. He says, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its width. You shall make two cherubim of gold of hammered work. You shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make them cherubim at the two ends of it of one piece with your mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and these shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and the ark you shall put the testimony that I give to you. Notice here, verse 22, And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I, will, which I give you in commandment to the children of Israel. So again, this would be that place where the high priest would go in, bring sacrifice, make intercession for the people. Now, side note on this, the ark of the covenant, uh, the mercy seat, the scriptures tell us this thing still intact. In Revelation, at one point, we'll see it in heaven. There's a lot of people that still think it's on earth. There's some that think it's under the sun of the rock. There's others that think it's in Ethiopia. There's others that think it's in several other locations. Many think that it will be brought out when the Antichrist temple is constructed there uh, in the tribulation. And then it seems at some point the Lord takes it into heaven. Uh, so definitely acacia wood and the gold, it's held up over the years. So we can know they built it right. <laughs> Verse 23, now he talks about the table uh, for the showbread. Let's read this together, 23 through 30. You shall also make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold all around. You shall make for it a frame of handbreadth all around, and you shall make a gold molding for the frame all around. You shall make it uh, for, uh, you shall make for it four rings of gold, and put the rings on the four corners that are the four legs. The rings shall be close uh, to the frame. As holders for the poles, the table may be carried with them. Because remember, they would have to take this thing and move it out there in the wilderness as the Lord led them. So it needed to be picked up, and they're making a portable here. Verse 29, you shall make it dishes, its pans, its pitchers, and its bowls for pouring. You shall make them of pure gold, and you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. And most agree that showbread is symbolic, first of all, the word of God. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, it's, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, but more so symbolic of Jesus himself. Jesus said in John 6, 47, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. And notice the bread needed to be there always. And we know Jesus always lives to make intercession for us, the new covenant, listen, the bread of life is making intercession for you right now before the Father and the enemy of our souls accusing you right now before the Father. Aren't you glad that Jesus is our showbread showing up to make intercession for us? Verse 31 down through 39 or through, through verse 40. You shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be of hammered work 
Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs and flowers shall be of one piece. And six branches shall come out of its sides. Three branches of the lamp stand out of one side. Three branches of the lamp stand out of the other side. Three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms on one branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. And three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms on the other branch with an ornamental knob and flower. And so for the six branches that come out of the lampstand, verse 34, on the lampstand itself, four bowls shall be made like almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and flower. And there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same, and a knob under the third two branches as the same, according to the six branches that extend from the lampstand. Their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece, all of it shall be hammered piece, uh, a, one hammered piece of pure gold. Someone has some talent to make this. In fact, later on, it talks about the, the, the craftsmen that were skilled. And, and, you know, that's why we shouldn't be so quick to dismiss even physical gifts like that of not uh, having, you know, a, a, any spiritual value. Uh, because it talks about later the skilled artists and so forth that were gifted from God to make these things. And this thing had to be made of one piece of gold. Incredible. And not only did they make it, but they made it well. Verse 37. And you shall make seven lamps for it, and these shall arrange its lamps uh, so they give light in front of it. And its wick trimmers, and the tray shall be of pure gold. It shall be made of a talent of pure gold with all these utensils. And see that you make it according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. And so this was made to give light. And again, when we think about light, John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them again and said, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And throughout this tabernacle, the furniture of it and so forth, you see Jesus, 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 Jesus over again. The shedding of the blood. Again, you see Jesus throughout this. This stuff was the substance or was the shadow Jesus Christ is the substance. So, Heavenly Father, we praise you tonight. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your counsel here, God. And absolutely, God, we, Lord, want to go through all of your counsel, Lord. And it's easy to get in these chapters here, God. And, God, we're getting into things here that a lot of times people just even kind of hurdle over when they're reading through the Bible. And yet, God, we thank you for these things. And we thank you, God, that all these things pointed to you. And Jesus, we thank you that you came. We thank you that you did fulfill the law. Because we can't do it, but you did do it. And we thank you that you shed your blood. And we thank you that tonight, God, indeed, uh, you are the bread of life. You are the light of the world. And in you, we have the assurance of our salvation. And tonight, listen, if you don't know the Lord, listen, today's a day of salvation. We talked about the gospel, the good news. Call on him tonight. Ask Him to be the Lord of your life. Repent. Put your trust in Him, and He will absolutely meet you where you're at. And Lord, we want to, again, be found looking to You, waiting upon You, God, and absolutely, God, going forward in You as You direct and lead us through the Holy Scriptures and through Your Holy Spirit, God, uh, directing and guiding us as we're in the Word and as You lead us, God. So again, we thank You for our night. Bless our times of prayer right now, God, our prayer groups, and the rest of the night here. And Lord, uh, we just thank you for it, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, and we said together, amen. Well, you guys are uh, welcomed and encouraged to stick around for a bit to uh, pray with one another. If you want to 
get some, some others. I'm going to be up here and invite uh, Pastor Dwight and Ron as well. If anyone wants to come up and get prayed for tonight or anointed with oil. and Just God bless you guys. Glad you're here tonight.